This is episode 127 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing Women's Camp 2015, One Courageous Community with Carrie Patterson. This is session four from Sunday morning. Amen. What a beautiful organization that is. We've been part of helping out a little bit over the last few years in our little church, and we did the makeover at the office near us, and it was so fun. It was so fun to be part of seeing all these different churches come together, and my job was scrubbing the bathrooms. So, of course, that would be my job, sacred mundane, right? I love scrubbing toilets. And, um, and so we're scrubbed with a friend of mine, and she had been on the mission field in Cambodia for five years working with sex traffic victims. And, you know, she was home on a break, and then here she was scrubbing the toilet, you know, the toilets in this DHS office. That, um, but it was such a wonderful experience um, being part of that, I have nothing but amazing things to say about Embrace Oregon. We have loved working with them. My husband's loved working with them. Um, so, yeah, I'm just giving a little fist pump to Embrace Oregon. Awesome. Um, we had wanted to be part of um, foster and adoption, too. We went through the training, and we were doing our home study. And um, But I've kind of mentioned we always sort of have assorted people living in our home. And, you know, eventually it came to the point they were like, so you know you can't have felons in your home. And have <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's kind of a problem, right? We always have felons in our home. Hmm. So anyway, we're we're just it's one of those things where you just whatever. I love what she said. It's embrace, embrace Oregon, embrace whoever the people are that God has put in your path. And so, um, anyway, I love what they're doing. So here we are, here we are. Okay, so what have we covered? Friday night we looked at the picture of community. Right? The picture of community. That was John 17, the Father and the Son and the oneness, the perfect oneness that they had. And that is what Jesus prays that we would have too. The oneness so that the world may believe that you sent me. And then yesterday morning, uh, we had a, r- a rough talk, okay? And we had to talk about the problem of community, right? The problem, quite frankly, is that the members don't work right, right? We don't work properly. And so pride gets in the way. And really the root of pride was what we saw? Insecurity, which is really just fear because we're not walking in our identity as children of God who have the best daddy in the world and there's plenty of love to go around so we can freely love our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And then last night we looked at the practice of community, right? We learned that we've got to take some steps to learn how to live like children of God. It is not just automatic, even though it's accomplished. And I hope, again, I'll say again, I hope that you start tomorrow that 31-day challenge of practicing those one another's with each other. So this morning is game time, right? It's game time. Are there any, any, I know this is a women's retreat, so we're only supposed to talk about like flowers and crafts and stuff, but are there any other, are there any athletes out there even if it was 20 years ago, okay? Are there any? No, okay, sub, okay, thank you. <laughs> it was maybe 20 years ago, I'm with you, but um, sports was kind of like life in our home. I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just say it. I wish that Jesus was life, but <laughs> um, he was, but sports was kind of life too. We were heavily involved in sports. And um, I remember the rush of game time. I remember that I was thinking through even last night as I was praying through this message, I could still hear my high school fight song, 
right? Like I can, I can feel what it's like when you're standing at the, at the front of the locker room and you're ready to run out and the band starts and it's like whoosh, right? That feel of like, it is time, right? It's game time. All of the work that we have put in practicing and practice. All right, I didn't love practice, but you kind of have to practice, right? In order to be prepared for game time. All of the hours spent when no one is watching, right? Practicing your form, right? Practicing your, practicing your form over and over. Practicing your ball handling skills, right? Practicing your backhand. Practicing your getting out of the blocks. Practicing handing the baton, right? Practicing your serves. All of those different things. Practice and practice and practice and practice. Some of you remember, right? Over and over and over and over and over. And it isn't fun. It isn't glamorous. No one's watching. No one's cheering for you. But you do all of that work so that when it's game time, you're prepared, so that you are prepared. And in a sense, it is game time for us, if you will, okay? Um, Jesus, in John 17, if you wanna look at it this way, it's kinda like his locker room pep talk, right? He's like, okay guys, it's game time, it's go time, right? All of these things that I have taught you, all of these things that I have commanded you, it's time, right? He's saying all the things that I have shown you, it is go time. And in some sense, the entire church age really is game time, right? The entire church age, ever since Jesus ascended, in the church age, it is game time. And also in one sense, it's kind of always practice and always game time, right? We're kind of, the moments I always think of it as kind of my mundane moments, the moments when the pressure's not really on as much, nobody's around, maybe it's just kind of my ordinary mundane. I think of that as practice, right? And it's easy to think, well, it doesn't really matter as much right now, right? The same way that you can get lazy when you're practicing. But you know, those of you who have been involved in practicing anything, I'm sure it is with art or music or any of those kind of things that I know nothing about, um, it's the same that how you practice, right? That is what prepares you for when it is game time. All of that practice. So it's easy to think in those off moments, oh, it doesn't really matter. But that is where we are being prepared. And game time, I always just think, is any time, and usually the tricky thing is that's different about regular sports is you never quite know when it's going to be game time, right? I always think you don't actually get the schedule ahead of time. Like, okay, here is when you're going to be called on. All of a sudden, you just, pressure happens, a crisis hits, God opens up a door of opportunity, right? You never know. And then all of a sudden it's like game time. Pressure's on, a crisis hits, someone needs you, something happens with your child, you're sent onto the mission field, whatever it is, all of a sudden you're game time. And all the time that we spend practicing prepares us for that moment, right? Practice is hard, but I would say there's nothing harder than finding yourself in a situation and being unprepared, right? So we prepare and we practice for when he calls us off the bench and into the battle, right? So in that sense, Pentecost is the tip-off, okay? Pentecost is like the tip-off of game time, right? That is the beginning of, all right, here we go. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. Go, right? Pentecost, as many of you know, in Acts 2 is when uh, the Holy Spirit comes in a powerful, powerful way, displays his Holy Spirit, fills the believers with his Holy Spirit, and Peter stands up, 
and gives an incredibly bold, right? You can see the difference of Peter before the Holy Spirit and Peter after the Holy Spirit, right? And you see him boldly proclaiming the gospel, and it says that about 3,000 people were added to the church. Boom, right? 3,000 people. Now, I, you know, we church planted three years ago, and um, when I hear that, like 3,000 people added in one day, it's like, that is insane, right? I am excited when three new people are added to the church, right? And when we first started church planting, I was happy when three people came to church, okay? I mean, seriously little start, okay? So I hear 3,000 is like, this is insane. Can you imagine if just, oh, big deal, go to church, 3,000 new people come and meet the Lord? This is game time, if you will. And so Acts 2 and Acts 4 specifically give us the clearest example of what game time looks like, right? What it was intended to look like. So we're going to look at Acts 2 and Acts 4 this morning. If you turn to Acts 2, specifically we're going to look not so much at Peter's sermon, which is awesome. You can read that another time. We're going to look at what community looked like in the early church, Okay, what did it look like when it was fresh at the very beginning of the game, right? Before everybody got tired, <laughs> before we all got tired. What did it look like at the very beginning? And it says in Acts 2, 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. There's that same word koinonia we looked at in Philippians 2 that was the partnership of the Spirit. Devoted, them, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Those were the, the four components, if you will, of the early church. Teaching, fellowship, breaking bread together, and prayer. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, love that picture of hospitality, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Right? Can you imagine if every single day we were seeing new converts in our churches? Every single day, things like this were taking place. Over in Acts 4, we see another uh, little glimpse of what this looked like. It's very similar, but it's a little bit slightly different. In Acts 4, we read it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. One heart and soul. There it is again. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, you see this again, remember the awe and the signs and wonders, and great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each one as any had need. Wow. Right? 
This is pretty much like what the American church looks like, right? <laughs> pretty much the same. Yeah, you're like, that's exactly what I see around, right? It's like, oh my goodness, this is radical community. Radical community. I say again, it's amazing what you can accomplish when we don't care who gets the credit, right? This is, um, as far as what I can understand, Christian community without selfishness, right? Without selfishness, that's what this looks like. And I think this is the clearest picture that we have, from what I can tell, of Jesus' John 17 prayer being answered. Right? This is a clear answer to Jesus's prayer happening really about 50 days after he prayed it, right? After the Lord's Supper, that was when Jesus prayed that. This is the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after Passover. This is about that time that his prayer is being answered. And this gives us hope that it's possible, right? If we see it happening in the midst of sinful people, right? This is not the Garden of Eden. This is happening in the midst of sinful people. They are still having radical oneness in Christian community. This is what it looks like when my and mine are no longer in our vocabulary. This is what it looks like when ego and self and pride and fear and insecurity are gone, right? When my stuff is your stuff and my need is your need and your need is my need and we come together as a team for that common goal, coming together as one. And the promise is, when we come together like this, and we function in this oneness, we will win, right? We will win. Again, numbers were added daily to those who were being saved. Not just through, um, you know, thinking about conversions, not just through believers switching places and going to different churches, right? This was actual conversions, those who were lost and now found, dead and now alive, proclaiming the gospel to those who had not heard and coming to faith in Christ. They were of one heart and one soul, one heart, one soul with everything in common. One heart, one soul with everything in common. So this morning is the promise of community. Our last little bit, a promise of community. And specifically, three things we're going to look at briefly. The promise of community, really, the overarching, is just the presence of God. The sweetest promise of community is the presence of God. But expressed in these ways, expressed in power, expressed in provision, and even, surprise, surprise, expressed in pleasure. Expressed in power, expressed in provision, and expressed in pleasure. Now first, notice in Acts 2 and Acts 4, there was great power. There is unbelievable power when we are dwelling in unity with one another, with oneness. Right? In Deuteronomy 32, it says that one can put a thousand to flight, but two can chase 10,000. Right? I love that. Biblical math is not linear, right? It is exponential. It's not like, okay, we add one and one and we get like double the power. Nope, we get like 10,000 the power, right? It is incredible promise that it is not just you and me. There is exponential power available to us when we are together in one spirit and one mind. Exponential power. 
Jesus says in Matthew 18, 20, that where two or three are gathered, he is there in our midst, right? He says, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now that can be kind of confusing because it's like, well, does that mean when I'm alone, God's not there? No, not at all. However, I would say, isn't it clear that there is a special manifestation of the power of God when we are in community? It doesn't mean that we don't have access to him when we're alone, but it means there is a special, powerful manifestation of the presence and power of God when we are in community because that is how he created us to function. Ray Steadman, back in a sermon from 1962, speaking on this passage, he said, in other words, the expression of the power of Jesus Christ can never fully be seen in an individual Christian, but only in the church as a whole. The simplest form of the church is here described, where two or three are gathered. You and I, as individual Christians, cannot fully reflect Jesus Christ. It is only when two or three, or two or three hundred, or two or three thousand are gathered together in his name that a full and complete sense of the power which is committed to Jesus Christ, who is above every name which is named, both in this age and the age to come, I love it, he goes off just like Paul, is fully manifested in this life. This means we can never fully know Jesus Christ unless we know him in relation to someone else. The full expression of the presence and power of Jesus is known when we are in community with one another, through one another, right? I have seen this so powerfully, I'm sure you have too, in corporate prayer, right? The best thing we ever began as a little teeny tiny church plant was the church prayer meeting, right? It is my, it's honestly, it's my favorite part of the week. <laughs> Don't tell my husband that his sermons aren't, they're fine, but prayer meeting is where I'm like, that is where it's at, right? We break bread together, we eat together, we have dinner every single week, and then we pray together. And you can, you can tell, you can sense, you can feel the Spirit bringing you into unity when we pray together. And it is so easy, it's so easy, instead of just even in a moment, grab someone, let's pray together. Instead of praying just yourself, grab someone and pray together. Every time we pray together, God's power and presence is manifest in a special way and he unites our hearts. I believe never before, you know, I haven't been around very long, but as far as I can tell, have we seen such a deteriorating of community through the spirit of independence, especially in our nation. We have such a spirit of independence in our nation. We are DIY, do it yourself, right? Do it your way, have it your way. Don't ask for help, individualistic society. I'm, I'm confessing I'm the worst, right? I loved your confession. Community isn't like natural for me. More than ever, people are leaving the gathering of the church for podcasts, right? I can sit in the comfort of my own home. I can live stream, get my podcast, drink my coffee, right? Put on some Pandora worship music. There, I just went to church right? That is not the gathering of the church. I'm not knocking the use of technology, right? I love, I'm grateful that we're able to record things and share things with people, 
But I do believe that the influx of these methods have harmed true spiritual growth and maturity. Without community, there is no real growth. My husband made the point recently that um, that kind of church, I mean, I have friends who say that's their church. That kind of church, if you stay home and do podcasts, do online church, you cannot practice a single one of the one another's. You basically can't obey the New Testament <laughs> whatsoever, right? You cannot follow a single one of the one another's sitting at home with our podcast. It is in community. We will never experience the power of God, his Holy Spirit, the growth and life and vitality and spiritual maturity unless we are in community with others. And I would emphasize in community, in your local church. We are one gathering, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here, right? But, but in our local churches is where God has ordained for there to be the leadership and the community and the love and the accountability for us to grow the way he intended for us. All right, sometimes I've heard people say, well, I find community in my local mom's group, you know, or I find community in my running club, or I find community in these things, or in my individual family, and there's value in that, right? There's value in that belonging. But the church is the community instituted by God that is sovereignly ordained by God for individuals and families alike to be brought together and function as one for the glory of God. That is the community that he has ordained. It is completely different from the world-centered, world-instituted community. And here are a few ways, okay? Here is the difference, from what I understand, of a clique, a club, and a community, okay? We're not going for cliques. We're not going for clubs. We're going for community. Here is a little bit of the difference and why the church the true Christian community is so different from anything the world can offer, right? A clique has undefined parameters, right? You can see a clique and you're like, I'm not sure exactly like what is, what's in common there. I can just tell that they huddle together, right? Undefined parameters. It's exclusive. Don't try to join, right? It is self-serving. A clique exists for the sake of those who are in it to feel better about ourselves, um, to reinforce um, our own beliefs. It's impenetrable, right? You cannot join. And the intimacy that there is exists to reinforce self. So there is a little bit of intimacy in a clique, but it always exists to reinforce self, to, already, to reinforce what I already believe, what I think, what I feel, basically to affirm me. That is what a clique is. The message of a clique is we are desirable. We are desirable. You want to be like us, don't you? Right? That is the message of a clique. A club, a little bit better, right? Defined parameters, at least. This is a club that's around running. This is a club that's around homeschooling. This is a club that's around whatever it is, bird watching. This is a club that's around book reading, right? There's, and I'm not knocking, there's a place for them. I'm just making a distinction. Define parameters, so that's good. They're all, they are still exclusive. It serves, it exists to serve members, still, just fine, but it's joinable with requirements. So you need to pay dues or attend a certain number of meetings or go through a certain process in order to be part of this club, but it is at least joinable. 
And there's limited intimacy. This is the important thing I want to highlight. There's limited intimacy only surrounding the common shared interest, right? So if you are part of a running club, you're welcome to talk to me about my running, but don't talk to me about my marriage, right? If I'm part of whatever the different group is, my husband uses the example of a bird watching club, okay? If you're part of a bird watching club, we can talk about birds, but don't you dare ask me about my finances or ask me how my children are doing, right? There's a lot that's off limits. We are only allowed intimacy about that limited um, shared experience within the club. Does that make sense? The message of a club is we are unique. Here is the thing about us that is unique. That is the message of a club. Community, on the other hand, true biblical community, also has defined parameters, right? Those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Those who have handed over the, the deed of their life and surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. It, all, it is also exclusive in that sense because it is those who call on the name of Jesus Christ. It's not just a vague God. It is specifically the church of Jesus Christ because he is the head. The interesting thing, though, about community is that it, it exists to serve its members and outsiders. It does not only exist to serve its members, but to serve its members and the world. To serve the world. Okay? It's freely joinable by faith. Freely joinable. You don't have to jump through any hoops. You belong to Jesus. You belong to this community. And the huge thing is that there is full intimacy through unity and diversity, right? The scary thing about Christian community is that it's like whole life. That's kind of what we're talking about this morning, okay? It's whole life. And that is why a lot of us are like, no thanks, right? I don't want nobody to ask me about my finances. I don't want anybody to ask me about my kids or my marriage or my devotional life or what I do when I have my own time, right? And in that case, the best option would be just to join a club. But that is not the community that God has ordained for us. True community is very courageous. Do you see why? Because it requires a lot of vulnerability. And the message, the beautiful thing, the humble, beautiful message of community is we are incomplete. If I choose to be part of the Christian community, I am acknowledging that I am not complete on my own. I need you. I need to be part of the community in order to function the way that God has called me to. So it is not a message of, look at us, we're awesome. It is a message of, we are incomplete without each other, but together we will glorify God. Only within the parameters, the safe parameters, and the spirit-filled structures of the church community can there be accountability and whole life support. It is so easy to just get a little bit of help from over here because they won't ask me about this area, and then get a little bit of help over here because they won't ask me about this area. But the church is this beautiful family where it's whole life support, right? There is no area off limits. Nothing else can unleash the power of God like the oneness in the Christian community. And it is completely different than anything that the world can offer. So power, 
is a promise. The second promise is provision. Provision is a promise of this oneness, this gospel community. Now, I find it very interesting that in both of these passages about what oneness looked like in the early church, they strongly emphasize sharing stuff. That is fascinating to me, right? They shared their belongings. They shared their money. In other words, they shared their treasure. Now, it's also funny to me that we put so little emphasis on this in our modern-day churches, right? I mean, that was a lot of what these passages talk about. When was the last time you heard a sermon on that, right? We put so little emphasis on this in our modern-day church. I mean, we, we take meals to people when they have a baby. You know, we do that, take them a meal.com, and we might let someone borrow our car, maybe, maybe if it's an old car, um, or, you know, we might take some of our old clothes and give them to the, you know, the, the, the clothes closet or whatever. But, like, this is really uncomfortable. I don't know if anybody else is really uncomfortable reading this, right? This is radical. This is, I sell my house and I give all the equity to my church and let them distribute it as there are any needs. I mean, I don't know. Has anybody done that in the last couple months? Like, Whoa, right? This is crazy. This is relinquishing all control of what is mine. It is removing my and mine from our hearts. <coughs> Excuse me, vocabulary. Now, I'm with you, right? Some of you are like squirming just talking about this. You're like, where is she going with this? Okay, this is crazy. Just think of some of you are like, think of the dangers of this. Right? This is dangerous. Think of the abuses of this. This sounds like a cult. Right? Like if I heard about people doing this, I would turn them in. Right? This sounds like a cult. What if someone took advantage of that generosity? Right? What if some people never worked? They just took and took and took. How on earth would decisions be made about who got what? Right? This is why... Now we realize why there are requirements for church leaders, right? All of a sudden, the requirements for elders and church leaders are like really important, right? When you're handing over $250,000 to your church leadership, right? You're like, oh, I hope you're godly, right? <laughs> it's just like, right? I mean, it's really important when you start thinking through this level of openness and sharing. You realize, no wonder no wonder God holds leaders to a stricter judgment and a higher level of accountability, right? No wonder in Acts 6 they had to institute servants or deacons in order to distribute these things well and make sure no one got overlooked, right? This was hugely important because there was a massive amount of sharing going on, right? This is the kind of community that Jesus is praying for and that we see in the scriptures is kind of dangerous. It's kind of risky, kind of like everything is that we do for the sake of the gospel, right? Now note too in both of these passages that it was believers who were together, right? This was not, and what we're reading about right here was not a government instituted program. 
What this is specifically talking about, and I'm not going to talk about government instituted programs, what, I am talk, what the scriptures are talking about right here is a church distribution. It is Christians receiving the provision and the help that they need within their church family. This is radical community. For the Christian, the church is the place that this provision can happen. Why is this so important? Because within the church is the only place where there is the accountability and the ability to deal with the whole life behavior. Do you remember the difference between a clique and a club and a community? The church is the only place that has the authority to deal with your whole life. Does that make sense? It's the only place where you are giving permission for someone to ask you hard questions. It's the only place where there is the accountability for those who are not working or for those who are making poor choices. There's only that. This is voluntary, right? This is not communism. This is community. This is voluntary, spirit-led, word-informed, radical generosity that calls people out of destructive choices and habits into life-giving and Christ-exalting community. Only the church can have that kind of fellowship. We saw this uh, very clearly in our home. It's been kind of, some of you are like, what? There's like people in your, what? who are these people that are in your home? They're just various people. But, um, but we, we kind of learned the hard way about, um, we had one um, woman and she's still, God still has her. She's still on the, on the journey. Um, but she had been homeless and um, we were involved with DHS. Her son was removed because of drug use and all kinds of stuff. But um, she ended up living with us. And um, and so very, we were very eager to help, um, and we wanted to just do everything that we could to help her. But what we discovered over the course of, um, and again, God is not, her story is not done yet, but the five months that she lived with us, what we discovered was that she wanted our support, and she wanted that fellowship, but did not want accountability, right? And so community is fellowship and accountability, it's support and it's asking the hard questions. It's both, right? And so we had to come to a point where we had to ask her to move out until she was ready to be part of a community that was both fellowship and accountability. That's hard, right? That is painful. It was so incredibly painful, right? She called me the Antichrist. It was awful. <laughs> um, I'm just, yeah, it was, I was on my way to a retreat to speak, and um, we just dealt with this situation. I was like, oh, awesome. I just got a text telling me that I'm the Antichrist. Okay. All right. Well, let's go. Let's do this. Okay. It's just like, oh, right? It's not always pretty. I'm just sharing that because community is sometimes ugly, right? It is sometimes ugly, but I will tell you, when we were going through all this with this certain woman, and it was ugly, it got very ugly at the end, it was very hard. It was our church community that protected us and supported us, and even the night that we had to bring all this to a head, and I wasn't sure if we were going to have to call the police, but to ask her to leave, we had our church prayer meeting hosted at our house, and they were just on their knees praying the entire time, just seeking God and praying, protecting us, so that we would have witnesses for everything that we were having to do, so that we would be protected physically, we would be protected spiritually. That was an incredible experience for us to have the power and the love and the support of the community, even as we were seeking to continue to build community. Does that make sense? We have to do these things together. That provision happens 
inside community. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, I don't think I'm going to, for time's sake, I don't think I'm going to read these passages. But if you have time, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, powerful passages giving instruction in this exact same thing. Basically, he's talking about giving. And he's, he's commending these churches for their generous giving. And in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 8, he just says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. All he's saying is that this is what Christ has done for us. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He has shared so much more than we could ever fathom sharing. He laid down his honor, his riches, his rights, his glory, in order to be born into a poor family, right? He, we didn't get born into a gated community, right? He wasn't born into a mansion in order to reach us in the gutter, right? And that is what he calls us to do. Just walk in my footsteps to lay down our lives for each other. And then he tells them, he goes on about giving, and he says, I'm not saying, verse 13, I'm not saying that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Remember, the orphan mentality is hoarding. Me first. I got to save up lots because I never know if I'm going to have enough. The spirit of a loved child of God is, you know what? I have a little extra today. Here. When you have a little extra, will you share with me? Distributing freely among the children of God. I always think when he, when he draws attention to the manna, Right? He's talking about laying out that manna and all, everybody gathering what they needed. And can I imagine distributing freely to his children? I think of my two children. Right? And if I were to give two sandwiches to my son and none to my daughter. Right? It's so simple, right? What would I want him to do? And I do, I believe with all my heart that God's heart is, these are my children. And I might have given you two sandwiches, but right there across the street or across the continent or across the world, there is a child who doesn't have a sandwich. I'm not saying you have to starve. I'm just saying you have two. Could he have one? Right. How can we share what we have with each other? How can we share what we have with each other? Now, why do you think that in these passages, they keep talking about sharing our stuff, right? Because usually you're talking about community and it's just all about love and, you know, spend time with each other. And this is like weird. I mean, they're talking about sharing all of your stuff. Why? You know, right? Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. If we are to be one heart, the quickest way to do that is to be of one treasure, 
right, to share our stuff. Over and over, over the, the last specifically five years, as God led us um, kind of out of a uh, lifestyle and into a different kind of lifestyle, um, he has shown me over and over that I can lead my heart. I can lead my heart with my wallet, right? I can lead my heart with my stuff because where I give my stuff and where I give my money and where I give those things, that's where my heart goes. And when I give my stuff right here all the time, guess where my heart is? That's right. When I give it ahead, when I give it to eternity, when I give it to whoever is right in front of me, that's where my heart goes. I believe that's why he's emphasizing that they shared their stuff because they were of one heart. The last promise as we close, interestingly enough, is pleasure. There is joy in community. Right? It might be painful. I, would, I was also tempted to add that a promise of community was pain. <laughs> That's kind of there too. Pleasure. Right? In God's presence is fullness of joy. We experience God's presence in fuller measure together. Paul says in Philippians 2, complete my joy by being like-minded. Right, Psalm 133, you know this, I saw it, I think it's in the bathroom. Oh, how good and how pleasant, how pleasing it is when brothers dwell in unity. For there the Lord has commanded a blessing, the blessing, life forevermore. When we do not engage, it is scary, I will say. When we began this um, church planting deal, I had never experienced this kind of community. I mean, we've been in all kinds of different churches, We've done the community group thing. We've done all that kind of stuff. I never experienced this kind of like living life together. And it's scary. It was scary for me a lot. Open up my home, open up my life, like to set this precedent of this is what community looks like and we're in each other's lives and we ask each other hard questions. Like that was scary to me. And I will tell you, I have never experienced the joy that I have these last few years of living, truly living in this kind of crazy, dangerous community. Somebody has to take the first step, right? There is pleasure. He promises us pleasure when we live in one community. So we're gonna finish. I'm gonna pray for us. The girls are gonna come back up and um, we're gonna finish by taking communion together.